when I was 25 and a half, I started a podcast. The goal? To review some of the newest and the latest movies, along with some other stuff. With the help of my guests, I was able to do this. But there were dark forces tampering with my podcast. And with me. They called it an improvised podcast for some reason. I eventually found help in the form of myself. Yes, the me from a universe where the movies I reviewed got delayed. Apparently, my podcast made it to his universe. I know now that it is my duty, for the good of that universe, nay, the multiverse, to keep recapping and reviewing these movies, to hold listeners over until they could eventually see the movies as they were made in their world. For some reason, they come out differently in my world, but it's kind of entertaining that way. My name is Steven Schinder, and this is Delayed Replay. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another exciting episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we talk movies that get delayed in that other universe but come out on time in our universe. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Schinder, and joining me again, you may have heard them recently um, on a couple other recent episodes. Uh, that was redundant, me saying recent a couple times in one sentence. <laughs> it is Greg and Ted from sci-fi and horror society uh how are you guys doing this time i'm doing all right i um oh just about feel, feel better bits anxious and tired recently so i'm probably going to request some time off from work soon but um i mean i'm doing better at the moment and uh i had a really nice dinner just now of steak with homemade roast vegetables and uh homemade uh, potato wedges i overcooked the steak a tiny bit but it was good still and um just having some red wine while we're speaking and yeah i'm doing all right i just i watched um a lot of 80s action films recently which were kind of my forte and yeah things have just been kind of standard with me recently i just started um uploading uh, a halo 2 playthrough on my gaming channel which is going to be juicy but yeah generally things have just been pretty kind of standard quite honest this podcast is sponsored by microsoft and xbox no it isn't <laughs> no but um i wish because then we'd make an absolute <laughs> we should be rolling around like doritos and mountain dew sponsorships <laughs> uh, i thought you meant literally rolling around in doritos and mountain dew like mixed together like just it says not already i mean to be, to be fair to be fair that's probably what jeff Keighley was doing when he saw the sales figures for halo 4 okay this is a tangent but which flavor of doritos do you guys prefer um i'm gonna say i'm gonna go very contemporary and i'm just gonna say the cool original or chili heat wave yeah I'd probably go the chili heat wave one pretty much all i've had okay yeah my favorite is cool ranch but for some reason the cool ranch ones or i guess doritos in general don't like when I was in England four years ago, the Doritos I had there weren't as flavor filled as the ones over here. So I don't know like what's going on, but I kind of don't mind it sometimes that some certain branded things are a little bit more subdued in terms of flavor. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I'm fine with it personally. Um, I mean, plus it's also you rarely have like Doritos on their own. Like you usually have like Doritos when I've made vegetarian chili con carne and I'm making I'm having that with some, you know, some 
rice some doritos a bit of sour cream and guacamole and stuff like that you know so i usually have it as an accompaniment or as part of like a party snack spread so yeah that's fair i'm doing great <laughs> yeah i was just about to ask like how are you doing craig <laughs> yes ted ted is just stealing the, stealing the episode today <laughs> Well, I mean, you could have talked first, like the opportunity was there. <laughs> yeah, it was there, but I, I let him go first, because I'm, I'm, I'm a good boy. Um... <laughs> That's the first lie told of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been, I've been good. I've been watching um, On Nightmare on Elm Street, so I've finished the the main films, and I'm about to do the reboot. Yeah, so I just watched Wes Craver's new nightmare that is meta as f***. (laughs) (laughs) It literally has Wes Craven in it and all the actors playing themselves. And then they're like... (laughs) I'm generally not a fan of when, like, horror movies bring Hollywood into the plot somehow, especially when they're, like, set in the real world. Unless it's My Name is Bruce, I was, like, an exception, but... But yeah, there's actually this fan theory that Wes Craven's new nightmare is a dream that Nancy is having at the end of the third movie. It, it feels it's, like that, honestly. Yeah, and I, I honestly prefer that interpretation because I, like, I kind of didn't like how the other movies are basically fictional within that movie and it was just uh, it was just kind of weird anyway speaking of meta stuff uh the movie we're talking about this time is the unbearable weight of massive talent in which nicholas cage plays himself because i mean who better to play nicholas cage than nicholas cage right he could I mean, he could put the nicholas cage in nicholas cage I mean, it's it's probably the biggest example of an actor in Hollywood whose main acting trait is just playing themselves. And I think the only other actors I can think of who do that is probably like The Rock and, I don't know, Neil Breen, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say he's really mainstream, but he, he he's very earnest and he literally just plays himself, to be honest, in his films. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised when Neil Breen appeared in this one, but but we'll get yeah, there. Yeah, that was we'll get there. <laughs> Yeah, that was a bit out of left field. Yeah. So in this movie, Nicolas Cage, it starts off with like, he seems kind of directionless. Like he's looking at these offers that his agent is giving him. And like one of the offers is to do a movie by the asylum. And he's just like, shaking his own head he's like what am i doing with my life <laughs> i would love to see an asylum movie with nicholas cage i just like to see no more asylum movies because they're irredeemable yeah we've no only seen one we've only seen one i've seen multiple and none I've of them one. have any worth <laughs> yeah irre- i've irredeemable flossum that just don't deserve to be on any screen I know Greg and I have seen Paranormal Entity. I think that's. Oh uh, yeah, that was an asylum one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was meh. Um, Snakes on a Train. Uh, we've all seen. And it's pretty bad. Uh, Princess of Mars. I thought was okay. Like considering that it's an asylum movie, like it was actually tolerable for me anyway. The King of the Lost World, the King Kong ripoff, was just 
bonkers and like the the giant ape at the end looked really weird so i guess i've only seen four unless i'm forgetting something but anyway uh yeah like nick cage is is like basically rethinking all his life choices because he's like you know he has his fan base and lots of people are like telling him that they love some of his movies that are considered bad and he's like is this the kind of actor i want to be you know it just kind of seems like kind of an existential film in a way right yeah it's i mean like (laughs) to be honest with you any film with like when with neil breen in it just feels existential because you either feel like your mind is going to be like torn apart or you're just going to be questioning the very meaning of art and like that's goes double more so for Nicolas Cage so having them in the same movie with like a movie that's very meta about like having a career in film and like the workings of the whole film industry within Hollywood it it, it just felt it's just like felt like your mind was just being like like put to bursting point with the amount of meta-ness in it yeah and like basically the description of the offer from asylum is that they want him to play a killer salmon and that honestly sounds like something that they would put out well with sharknado and stuff like that sounds a, yeah. sounds a bit fishy to me <laughs> of course <laughs> see this is why you don't talk that much in these episodes gerg because you just say <laughs> crap like that <laughs> i mean it would be better because i think like that movie would probably have been better than shark tale non-ironically it's just like every time like we watch a film where it's like someone eats like potatoes in a movie you're always just like oh, better watch the starch out <laughs> especially <laughs> if it's a film with like uptight characters in it it's it's insufferable your, your sense of comedy pains me but um anyway get back onto this film it did feel like they weren't being very... It was strange, because like a lot of the film is very subtle, but like that one bit about where they initially have the offer from the asylum was like probably the most unsubtle bit in the film, because it was like one part where they directly named a film studio or an entity right off of the bat, rather than sort of like leading into it a little bit. And especially when Nicolas Cage started complaining about like the quality of like the jobs people got working for the asylum by saying, like, you know... I'm not some sushi from like a high-end apartment complex in uh, LA. You know, this is sushi from like the back of a 7-Eleven in Detroit or something. Like, <laughs> it's clearly just like making some sociological food joke about like how atrocious uh, asylum films are. Like, it's very on the nose, but I guess. I mean, is Asylum really going to sue them for this? Like, I don't know, but... <laughs> you probably can't I mean, afford to. To right. be honest with you, <laughs> the, if, if the Asylum tried to f- sue anyone, it would be the most ironic uh, case of um, copyright or, like, legal yeah. disputes within <laughs> Hollywood or any film industry ever. Like, it just, it would, just wouldn't work. Right, because of all their mockbusters and stuff, it would be weird. But yeah, so Nick Cage gets this invitation from this billionaire played by pedro pascal and his character's name is javi oh short for javier and what he doesn't know initially is that javi is a drug lord like that's basically why he's a billionaire but he's paying nick cage a million dollars to attend his 
birthday party and mm. he says he can like bring his family as well so nick cage brings his wife and his daughter like basically a fictional wife and daughter in this movie like it's for the movie and yeah like they show up at this party and at this mansion and we have like other celebrity guests at this party like like we said earlier we have neil brain and like he and nick cage have this conversation about movie making and like neil brain even talks about his movie twisted pair uh what what did you guys think of that conversation I thought that was the best conversation in the movie. It's um, like it's it's set up basically everything we're gonna get in this movie. Honestly, I mean, let's be honest. With Neil Breen, it's pretty clear that he's being like a hundred percent genuine, even though everyone thinks his films are stinky as hell. Like <laughs> he he is not a good filmmaker, but I think because people kind of love him like ironically, and also in sense unironically because he's very like artistically passionate he kind of like takes that heart and so it's just it feels like in the conversation in the film or Nicolas Cage is kind of like just politely humoring him like it does genuinely feel like Neil Breen's just being a hundred percent himself and genuine yeah and I guess because he's in this movie the filmmakers decided to have a bit of a Neil Breen influence on the film uh like like Greg mentioned it kind of sets up what we're in for like later we get these like weird effects that in any mainstream movie would look pretty bad but for something meta like this it's kind of funny and uh you know just moments where you can where they make it look low budget and it's just kind of entertaining and whatnot it's just all the use of stock footage was paying homage to neil breen's filmmaking style and like they even got um astro eagle to, to come back which honestly was just incredible yeah like, like when everyone's sitting down to eat the food that's at the party you get this cut to some outdoor tables and it's essentially like stock footage of the like tables from that nevada college campus that was in twisted pair and it's just so obvious that it's not the same place as this mansion like it's it wouldn't be outdoors from this mansion and like they just superimpose the people uh, as if they're sitting on those chairs and it just looks unnatural. I mean, to be fair, it's pretty like hard to make anything look as unnatural as like something in a Neil Breen film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like his, his jumping, his jumping was just like dragging himself from one area of the screen to the other. Yeah. And so they're eating these, uh, like Nick Cage's wife and daughter have these quesadillas that are at the party and Javi goes up to Nick Cage and says he wants him to act like some of his characters and Nick Cage was like well you want me to basically perform like just entertain you like I'm some monkey like no I'm, I'm just here to have a good time with my family um, and then that's when Javi reveals that like the quesadillas are poisonous and that He'll only give him the cure if he like does his bidding. And that basically sets up the conflict right here. I was like, whoa, this guy's nuts. Yeah, it's sort of like it, it does go from like naught to 60 real quick because you're just like, oh, oh this guy's actually really evil. Yeah, and, and like other party attendees had the quesadillas as well. So it's like 
they're they all are begging Nick Cage to like do his bidding and he's like basically having this moment where he's like do I do this and save everyone or should I maintain my artistic integrity you know whatever is like like I guess there's this moment where like the people at the party like argue with him and they're like what what artistic integrity like have you seen the movies you've been in and it's like they have this like really meta debate about like all his different movies. So like, what what did you guys think about the stuff they said about like some of the titles that were mentioned and what they said about them? I love that they mentioned Vampire's Kiss and Face Off. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Honestly, I can imagine it was really cathartic for them to do that because a lot of the films, you know, when you're an actor who's been around as long as Nicolas Cage and then even when you're an actor who's been around for a while but like comparatively for much less time like like the guy who played the main villain you're gonna be bound to like star in like one or two stinkers so it just probably must have felt really cathartic for them to just let that all out and just like it, it very metaphysically kind of like trash all the bad stuff they've been in yeah like there are other celebrities at this party as well like you have Neil Patrick Harris as himself um and and he's basically like, you sucked in The Wicker Man. I don't care if people say it's so bad, it's good. And like Nick Cage has this like, he has this look that looks like genuine shock. Like he's appalled at this like harsh no, criticism. I I, I, th- and I, th- I thought it was like a harsh, cri- uh, I thought it was a reaction as, uh, as him saying with his face, like, what, you think that's a unique opinion? Everyone knows that film sucks. <laughs> And then, and then his comeback was amazing, where it was like, you started in the Smurfs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was hilarious, because it's like, oh yeah, new, new NPH was in those movies. <laughs> and they were not good. <laughs> yeah, and, and you also have um, Andy Samberg and Danny Pudi from Community are at this party as well and they're like okay well if nick cage is not gonna do his bidding we'll try to do our best nicholas cage impressions and try to save everyone but pedro pascal's character is like no it has to be him and he like raises a gun and is basically like if you don't do my bidding i will shoot one of these guys and he's like aiming it at danny pudi and danny samberg and (laughs) it's like 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 you said, it goes like zero to a hundred like real quick. Like this guy is just mad with power. Like a, any drug lord billionaire would be, I guess. Definitely helps that Andy Samberg is a professional um, Nicolas Cage um, impersonator. Impersonator, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like there's that SNL sketch you mentioned last time, and. Come to think of it, I remember there's this episode of Master of None where people say they're going to see this Nicolas Cage movie in the cinema. And, like, you see them sitting in the cinema and you don't see the actual movie, but you hear, like, Nicolas Cage's character's voice and he's voiced by Andy Samberg there. So (laughs) that was... (laughs) It was actually pretty convincing. (laughs) Um and of course, Danny Pudi was in that community episode where he went insane because he couldn't like decide whether Nicolas Cage was a good actor or bad actor somewhere in between and just had a meltdown uh, impersonating Nicolas Cage. But 
Yeah, like Nicolas Cage pretty much has his own like vocal style. Like, like say what you will about his movies, but he definitely is iconic in his acting style. I think like it's just like he that's his stamp. I guess. Yeah, he's he's carved out his his niche definitely. Like if you see if you just hear his voice, you know exactly what is going to be on screen. It's it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword in a way because he is very much typecast in like particular. Well, I don't know. Is he? He's not typecast. No, but like he, you know, when he's in a role, like regardless of whatever it is, he's just going to be himself. So sometimes it can fit, uh, like in say Mandy or Vampire's Kiss, or um, I mean, even to a lesser extent, the Ghost Rider films. But just like sometimes with like certain things like wind talkers or um, <laughs> or stuff like that, it just really takes you out. I mean, he ha- he can play like serious. He can serious. He like, can, but it has to be right in like the right sweet spot of like the right director with the right writing and like I just feel like a super serious like macho action war film like say. Captain Morelli's mandolin or <laughs> the wind talkers just is not suited for him at all. If you haven't seen um, the film Pigs um, or Pig, I can't remember the singular or plural, but um, that is one of the films recently that he's done, which is actually pretty good. And it's, it's fairly serious. Like it's, it's, it starts out like you think, Oh no, this is going to, this is going to be a John Wick film where like somebody kills his pet or whatever. And then you got to, He's going to go on a rampage and kill everyone that, like, probably the cage would do in his films. But no, it just completely subverts that. And it's it, it's actually quite emotional when you watch it, like, really feel bad for him. So I would definitely recommend, if you haven't seen Pig, to to, to, to go sort, sort it out, honestly. Okay, yeah, I might have to give that a watch. Basically, in this moment, Nick Cage is really going back and forth on whether or not to do the guy's bidding. And he's... He finally gives in. He's like, "All right, I won't Willy's Wonderland this shit. I'll, <laughs> I, 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 I won't stay silent. I'll, I'll play whatever character you want me to be." And, <laughs> and um, Javi is basically like, "Good. Now let's take it from the top. Start with Vampire's Kiss." Oh, and yeah. <laughs> and he basically like has to like recite some of his iconic outburst lines from that movie like i'm a vampire (laughs) (laughs) he did the alphabet scene as well like he just he just stood there and he recited the abc just getting madder and madder and then he started jumping up and down on the tables (laughs) yeah and javi tells him to try it again but do the alphabet backwards and well like this is a moment where nick cage is really because uh, he's not very used to saying the alphabet backwards, so he has to like really think it, and it's like super suspenseful. And like Javi points his gun at some random party goer, and he's like, "You better do it!" And like he's about to pull the trigger, and that's when Nick Cage like tries saving the day. He's basically like, "Z Y X W V U T S R Q P O." NM LKJ And then <laughs> Javi's like, that sounds right. Okay. <laughs> it's good enough for me. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I was impressed that this was done in an unbroken shot, like just one frame. So you could see that he actually was like trying to do it in one go. <laughs> yeah, it sort of like it did kind of feel like a sort of like tongue in cheek flex, but it was also just like it was kind of a good representation in a sort of like um, a very outlandish kind of way of just how much of a absolute psycho Javi is. So you, you just you get an impression from the start that when he appears on screen that he's a bit of an oddball but but not immediately that he's like this absolute scumbag and then like it's slowly obviously drip fed to you over time that like oh actually has a bit of a complete wrong and like he's really not in a good bloke yeah he's like definitely out there from the start and he just like keeps escalating as the movie continues no, but that's um, what I mean. I like the fact that they just didn't immediately lead in with like him being a complete psycho and like a clear bad guy. Cause I'm glad that they sort of like just bled it into that little bit, like bit of time, you know, didn't just like lead too far forwards with it from the offset. Because then it's sort of like it kind of amplifies like the scene where he does reveal how much of a psycho he is all the more so, and it kind of makes it more effective uh, thematic drop, really. Yeah, I agree. What did you think of the other roles that he had Cage, like, perform again? Oh, the bees. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah when he's like, not the bees! Like, and he got, um, like, a beekeeper from the... There's, like, happened to be a beekeeper just at the party. So, like, <laughs> he actually went and got the bees and then put the thing on his head. <laughs> yeah, and, and the beekeeper was played by... Patrick Warburton, who played the boyfriend character in in B movie, the the guy who's like really dumb in that movie and like yelling and stuff. It's like I was like surprised to see him as the beekeeper here. It was really ironic. Oh yeah, I, I remember that. Sure. Yeah, and and then he this is a a really niche one. He gets Nick Cage to to recite lines as his ant character from the Ant Bully. And he's like, do it or I'll unleash these killer ants on you. And it's just like of all these bizarre choices. It's like, where's Javi getting all these things? Like all these bees, all these ants. And it's like really like it just keeps getting even more bonkers as it keeps going. <laughs> I'm, I'm just surprised they, a, a, um, a drug billionaire is able to watch all these movies. Like, you'd think he'd be busy, like, killing people. But no, he just sits in his bunker just watching, watching Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we get a glimpse at his, at his Blu-ray collection, and it's basically just all Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> like, there's just no variety. It's just that's the common thing between all of them. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would want his collection, honestly. Like, I'd do anything. <laughs> I mean... I probably wouldn't do so to the same extent that Nicolas Cage did in real life, where he bankrupted himself by buying several dinosaur skulls and an entire island. But I mean, yeah, sure. I'm, part of, I'm not sure his collection would be that expensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or his incredibly weird addiction to like Fabergé eggs. But you know, each their own. <laughs> yeah, but but speaking of uh, drug lords killing people, th this is when things ramp up a bit more, which is when his rivals it's like this other drug lord organized crime organization uh crashes the party like they like crash through the windows and uh bring out their own guns like 
uh, their leader is played by Alec Baldwin for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah, like he's in charge of this other organized crime uh, thing. And he has this weapon that he says it's like the dubstep gun from Saints Row. Like, uh, Greg, you've played this game. Like, how does it work in the games and how does that compare to how it works here? This just fires dubstep at people. However, that may look to you, but yeah, it just fires it just fires <laughs> si- sound waves at people as it plays dubstep. So in in this movie, um, it takes Alec Baldwin's voice from his movie, so you just hear Boss Baby come out of this gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Boss Baby lines being fired, <laughs> but but they're like clearly like bass boosted. Yeah, yeah, to really like... bass boosted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he he pressures everyone. He's like, everyone dance, and everyone like dances because they're like super scared at what's going on. And Javi's like, all right, my underlings, you guys shoot these people, but in the meantime, Nick Cage, you still gotta act for me. And so it's like you basically have this drug war, like all this shooting going on in this mansion, but he still wants Nick Cage to perform for him. And all the while, he's like worried about his family and all these other people here. So it's like Nick Cage is trying to keep us cool. Um, and this is when he yells out his line from Kick-Ass, where he's like, take cover, child. Now switch to Kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of when the film did lose me for a moment, because it was just like, even with like the film being as ridiculous it was, as it was, that did kind of feel a bit like, a bit too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and but, and so his family takes cover like under a table, but like there are all these people like shooting at each other and it's like it gets like really violent. Like you see like all this blood uh coming out like people getting shot in the shoulders and in the head and stuff. And one, not one of my favorite bits it's just like it's a throwaway gag but like Neil Patrick Harris is just like He's just like hiding behind the table, like cradling like a cup of like fruit, alcoholic fruit punch. He's like shakingly <laughs> sipping it while people are dying around him, and he's like carrying behind this table. And he's just like, I knew, I knew, I should have gotten to that. How I met your mother convention, and just grenade <laughs> bounces over and like lands in his cup, and he's just like, ah, oh, damn it, and he just blows up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of that movie. Um this is the end uh, i don't know if you guys have seen it but it's basically where seth rogan jay baruchel jonah hill and these other actors play themselves like during the apocalypse and so it, i kind of got those vibes except in, instead of an apocalypse it's just like this war between criminals but it still feels very over the top and self-referential so it's it's pretty hilarious to me I it did, did have a throwback to that movie, I think, where yeah. uh, Neil Breen was busy running around. He was because he was on fire, so he, he, was busy <laughs> run, he was just running around aimlessly trying to put himself out. Yeah, like Neil Breen witnessed Neil Patrick Harris's death in this movie, and he's like, "Well, I guess there's room for only one Neil at this party." <laughs> but but what? But yeah, when when Neil Breen is on fire, um. Uh, that's when Javi gets the idea. He's like, Nick, 
get his fire on your skull. I need you to look like Ghost Rider. And that's when Nick Cage is like, you are effing insane. And he's, obviously he says the actual F word, but he, he's like, I am not going to set my skull on fire to appease you for your birthday party. <laughs> Do the roar. <laughs> but it's just really, it's really funny because like in when it uh when it cuts the background in the shots with Harvey, like it's just like like all these his henchmen and like the arch rival's henchmen just like butchering each other in the background. And then when it cuts to Nicolas Cage in the background, you've just got Neil Brain just like running around like on fire, like screaming, like going, Ah, help me. I am on fire. <laughs> it's like what the hell is the tone in this scene it's like really badly CGI'd fire that you can clearly see wasn't attached to him yeah, yeah. just floating <laughs> but, but no, what I noticed was like all the fire in the film looks kind of like quite realistic but just like when Neil Breen's on fire it looks like the fire from like one of his films like just shoddy and really choppily put in so it's like I think that's kind of a homage to like his films being like really low budget and crappy like <laughs> which, which I, I honestly, it's probably a bit of a dig, but I quite liked it at the same time. Yeah, and the blood that is on the floor, like depending on the shot, it looks really inconsistent. Like in one shot, it'll look like fruit punch, and another shot, it'll look like ketchup, and then the next shot, it'll look like red wine. And I mean, that's probably on purpose, but it was just funny how obviously fake the blood looks in the movie yeah it, it kind of just looks like well done ketchup at points even like it looks barely beyond like what hammer f films used to make yeah and there's even this moment where like someone gets shot and instead of ketchup they're bleeding mustard for some reason it's like i'm curious how they achieved that effect but it's also like a w an odd, obviously intentionally bad choice. <laughs> I, I did find it funny when one of the partygoers' arms like fell off, and then he obviously had like tomato sauce coming out of his arm. So did he? He just like <laughs> tapped his arm and he like put it in his mouth, and he was like, "Oh, it's ketchup." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and like you see the severed arm on the floor, and it it looks like a doll arm, but yeah, like. In, inside of the socket is like some whole, whole ripe tomatoes. <laughs> is it literally a, a ketchup bottle is in his arm? <laughs> yeah, like that's the moment where um, Danny Pudi uh, pulls the ketchup bottle out and he, he's like, I can't, I'm trying to remember what the brand name was, but he basically turned to the camera and was like, this film is sponsored by Heinz. Um, I, That's I think, it, yeah. Yeah, Heinz Ketchup. Yeah, I think that was done in another movie we talked about on this podcast. Um, it might have been Race Jam, which I talked about with Ted. But yeah, like that was very tongue-in-cheek, like fourth wall breaking. And like Nick Cage like runs up to him and he's like, who the hell are you talking to? This is real life. <laughs> <laughs> and then like they put his punch, like the air, but obviously the camera's there. <laughs> this is a moment where nick cage like really wants to take action he runs while the gunfire is going on and javi is briefly distracted uh nick cage looks around the house for some weapons uh he goes to like this storage room and that's where he finds a chain uh kind of like the ones that ghost rider uses and he's like 
I guess this will be the kill chain. And like that's actually a reference to another movie he starred in. <laughs> yeah, um, the the thing just keep on coming. Yeah. So, what'd you think of the way he used the chain against like some of the pe- people at this party? I don't know. It kind of just happened, really. I didn't really. It wasn't something I didn't expect to like occur, but it was also just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I guess this is happening now. Yeah, he's basically using it like Ghost Rider would, almost like a lasso at times. And it's like, well, how did Nicolas Cage get this skilled at this? But you kind of just accept it because it's Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I mean, you either get like dry existentialism or you just get pure insanity. (laughs) It was kind of hilarious when like he got the chain hooked around someone. And then as he was putting them towards him, he was like, get over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like that Mortal Kombat shout out. (laughs) Yeah, it just keeps on appearing in every movie nowadays. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious when he like beat up one of the minions from like the drug cartel. And he's like, I'm Superman. Uh, Because like he was almost Superman in that one movie. So that was like a little reference to that, I guess. Yeah, there, there, there's like lots of these shout outs where he's like, I didn't star in Into the Spider-Verse to get involved with stupid shit like this. This and, isn't and a it, Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. And then it's sort of, sort of, sort of like um, in a very sort of like in, to like really ram home the theme of like Metanis. Uh, what's his name? Um, Willem Dafoe just like popped out from behind like a a pillar with like a bleeding arm and he just goes yeah well at least you weren't made to like walk towards your like own helmet and start screaming at it like i was and obviously that's a reference to the first sam raimi spider-man film where he he he, it's a really weird scene where basically he plays norman osborne in that film and he he starts crawling on his knees hands and knees towards like the green goblin helmet because like in his deranged state in that film he thinks it's talking to him and it's really odd like by the by the theming of that film it's bizarre the moments in that spider-man movie when he's talking to the mirror like it kind of mirrors uh pun intended the moments in evil dead 2 when ash talks to his reflection so i kind of wonder if sam raimi was like intentionally repeating himself or if that was just a coincidence nothing is a coincidence it's all it's all made to be as it is written (laughs) As it was written in the Necronomicon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and so, yeah, the Necronomicon. Um, But I I do love this Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage team up. Um, Like Willem Dafoe just has his own dual pistols, like without question. And he's he and Nick Cage are like fighting back to back against their foes. Um, they're and Willem Defoe's. Yes, they're Willem Defoe's. <laughs> you will. Uh, <laughs> and like after they defeat some of these people, uh, Willem Defoe turns to Nick Cage and he's like, "I can see why they call you a national treasure." <laughs> he is a national treasure. Yes. <laughs> If only he was British. 
Oh, well, yeah. I'm trying to imagine like what Nicolas Cage would sound like if you were British now. <laughs> it's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Just no explanation. Like he's yeah. raised around British people, yet somehow still sounds how he does. Yeah, exactly. And he still just makes quotes from Wizard of Oz. Yeah, like there, are, there are all these references to Wizard of Oz because of that movie he was in Wild at Heart, where it just had all these Wizard of Oz references for some reason, and it was kind of annoying. <laughs> David Lynch, that lad. <laughs> <laughs> he just feels feels like the literal embodiment in a human being of the word existentialism but like i feel like people love him for that because he's so honest with himself lynch's films get very surreal for sure um and this movie gets kind of surreal at moments as well like like we said you know there's the effects that look intentionally bad and there's this moment where like we get like these split screen shots of all these different roles that Nicolas Cage has done and it's it forms like the shape of Nicolas Cage's face and that's when he's like I am Nicolas Cage and that's when he decides to like go after Javi uh, to like save his family uh so what'd you think of the way he ended up confronting Javi here it is it was it, it was kind of like um it morphed into just like a really weird, like generic action scene for a bit because he gets up like um, an M16 assault rifle with a grenade launcher and um, he, he just just like, blows his way through like loads of the of Javi's henchmen. And it sort of feels like it's going to be a bit of like a um, Scarface scene where like he takes down takes down loads of them but goes out in a blaze of glory but like just through like sheer dumb luck he keeps managing to like dodge his way through like absolute death scapes and just like narrowly escapes death over and over and over again where it's just like how is this happening <laughs> but it's kind of charming in a weird sort of way because like at least this version of him that he's playing in this film isn't like some crazy action hero he's just kind of like a normal guy who's an actor like <laughs> so it, it, it does feel quite funny in that he just keeps surviving because it's just like you just keep expecting him to die and then he just gets even more and more lucky over and over and over and over again. <laughs> it it kind of feels to me like a video game. It kind of feels like he's using these health cheat codes or like there are these endless waves of henchmen, like endless NPCs, I guess you could say. Um, but like because this movie is just so ridiculous, it kind of just accept it and it's lots of fun. Um and there, there's even this henchman who's like, I'm going to take your face off. And he like gets the knife and like struggles against Nick Cage. And then Nick Cage just takes a knife from him and cuts that henchman's face off. And it's just like, and that's when like, he, when he takes the face off, it looks like an obvious mask. <laughs> it's just super cheap Halloween mask type of thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it it almost felt on the level of, like, Velocipasta to a certain degree. It just yeah. felt like, <laughs> like, like, what the hell is going on? But, like, it wasn't like a sort of sense of cheapness where it was feeling like they were cutting callers. I think they did it genuinely just to be a bit stupid and charming, which I did appreciate. The, the, the ending really did get me, though, where they had, like, some, like, really huge mech suits in the shape of Nicolas Cage 
and the other one was in the shape of Pedro Pascal, and they each got into their own mech suits and just like started like punching each other, <laughs> like just, just like randomly beating each other up in these mech suits, just shouting out lines from each of their movies. <laughs> I just sat there watching that scene, just like, what the f- is going on? Like, what is like, even for how insane this film is. That law, like like Greg said, that last scene is a bit mental. <laughs> it's just like you just sat there, just thinking, like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I put on Gundam a double O eighty. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah, well, like even though Pedro Pascal isn't playing himself, there's still references to some of his other roles. Like he's like before he gets into the mech suit, Javi is like, life is good but it could be better. And he just gets in the mech suit and uh, tries fighting him. Uh, Yeah, you can tell that some of the effects budget went toward this, which is probably why they dialed it back on other effects in terms of how believable it looks. But yeah, I I thought this was kind of fun. Um, Like the CGI looks, I mean, I've seen worse, but it still kind of looks like 2000s movie cgi like it kind of feels out of place but still somewhat entertaining to me at least yeah yeah it's definitely entertainable definitely and and so nick nick cage he he reveals that he has one of the quesadillas with him and so he punches uh like in the mech so he like punches through the glass of like Javi's mech suit and shoves the quesadilla down his throat and he's like now the cure and so uh, this is when uh, Javi has to make the choice of whether or not to reveal where the cure is so what did you guys think of like how that went down here I found it quite funny when he said oh there is no cure there's just no cure and then everyone, everyone just dies. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he didn't expect himself to get poisoned, so he didn't didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I was not expecting for everyone at this party to just die, and for Nicolas Cage to be like the sole survivor. <laughs> And then, and then he, he's sort of like you just—he's silent for like a few minutes, and you're just the whole time you're just waiting in anticipation, thinking like, is he gonna say the line from Ghost Rider where he says he's the spirit of vengeance? And you're just waiting in anticipation, and it just cuts to black, and it's just like, oh damn it! It's like that's the <laughs> one thing in terms of like the ridiculous and stupid dialogue in this film that I really like regretted is that they didn't follow through with that because that would have been perfect. Yeah, I mean, as ridiculous as this movie got, like, this was a darker ending than I was expecting. Like, he just loses his wife and daughter, and all these other people are dead as well. It's weird. In terms of his films, it feels like a cross between The Rock and, uh, well, and it feels like a cross between The Rock and Bad Lieutenant and, um mixed in with a bit of the ridiculousness of like mandy and vampire's kiss but then the ending is all like sort of like the ending of mandy where it is just kind of dark and depressing and you're just like oh okay that's kind of rough but i I don't know i don't know it's hard to say because like i appreciate the ending but i don't think it really fit like it was just it 
I get, I get why, what they were going for in the sense that they were just being so outlandish. You just like sit back in your seat. But I don't know. It just didn't fit for me. That was the only part of the film that I really majorly disliked is how they tied the ending into the rest of the movie. Because it just felt like a thematic like clang and it just didn't really fit well. Yeah, I get what you mean. Like the movie, it was inconsistent in some aspects. But it feels to me like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where like I love most of the movie, but the ending just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I get those like similar vibes. And it's just, yeah, like I don't know like why they decide to go with this choice because I didn't find it as funny as I guess they were maybe hoping for. But I don't know. It got, it got me at least. But yeah. Oh, it got you to like laugh out loud in the cinema. Yeah, it made me ha ha. It tickled his funny. Yeah, it tickled my funny. Yeah, I, I will say that I did laugh out loud when during the end credits they played the song All Star by Smash Mouth. It's just that, like that really mood, made my mood. day. Yeah, mood whiplash just really <laughs> it, it, out of place. <laughs> I, I feel like I nearly broke my neck from the tonal whiplash there. It was just a bit, that was a bit too far for me. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you get like this post credit scene where like some random criminal is like driving in his car and then another car rams into him and it turns out to be Nick Cage. Like, uh, like there's gasoline coming out of the dude's car and Nick Cage is like, I guess you're going up in flames. And he just tosses a cigarette, sets the guy on fire, and it ends. <laughs> it reminds me of an improv game I used to play with some friends where we do one-liners and it'd be a pun related to a certain thing. And we'd like do a Nick Cage impression while saying the line. <laughs> but, of course you would do something based on puns. Yeah, I mean, you know me, I just love puns. <laughs> yeah, you just pun-tastic. Like, I'm not cagey about it. <laughs> no, you're not. You're just nicking all his lines. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't know if you guys have any other things to to say, or if you want to go into final thoughts. Uh, it's totally up to you guys. No, I haven't got anything that's more constructive beyond what I've said. So, I mean, it's... Really, at the end of the day, it's actually a pretty straightforward and simple movie. It's just because it's so <laughs> outlandish and crazy in terms of its artistry and yeah. presentation. I think that's that's <laughs> the main story of what we said about it. But I, I kind of reached the end of my tether, really. So so we'll do final thoughts, I guess. Um, so final countdown. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was real weird that they had Brian Blessed singing that song at the oh, yeah. party I in this movie. That, oh my god, that completely <laughs> crossed my mind. I, I, sh I know he was in like the background of a bad, few shots. Yeah. yeah, but like I completely forgot he was doing that in the film. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, he was like. It's the final <laughs> countdown. I think that might have been the most weirdest and out of place thing in the entire movie. It's just sitting there, just like, uh, uh, and then it just left my head because it was so out of left field. <laughs> um, but in terms of final thoughts and rating, I, I don't know. I, I've had a lot to critique it about, as everyone has obviously heard me say. But I generally liked it. I think, like usually with like 
callbacks to earlier projects, whether it's within the same series or in relation to a particular actor or whatever, usually creates an eye-rolling sense of nostalgia basically for me. It's not that's not always the case, granted, but with with like certain series like say um the the last three or so aliens or um predator films it's definitely felt like that and then especially with um stuff like the terminator films like the last two have been really guilty of that but here they did it just about right the only thing is that i i appreciate obviously that they went for like a surreal kind of mental film and that was kind of like the main theme of it is that it is kind of like surreal but kind of semi-grounded in reality but there were some points where that was so out of left field that they kind of did just like give me a bit of tonal whiplash, like you said, like with the dark ending and then obviously playing Smash Mouth right afterwards. Um, <laughs> you know, um, not obviously they're completely different films, but I remember with Juno, like um, there was a few scenes in that film that were like so out of left field and surreal that I was just like, why is this here? I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I think generally speaking, I, despite what I've criticised about the film, I do appreciate it more than I criticise it. And I think I'm going to give it a solid, probably seven and a half Neil Patrick Harris uh, carrying behind the punch table, getting blown up out of 10. <laughs> All right. Nice. Greg, what are your final thoughts and score out of 10 for... Um... What's this movie called it it's got such a weird title the unbearable weight of massive talent yeah it's like like birds of prey the ephemeral femination of charlie quinn <laughs> charlie quinn <laughs> <laughs> what how's that title it's the birds of prey birds of prey and the fantabulous something of emancipation harley... oh yeah emancipation of harley quinn yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said Charlie Quinn, but <laughs> Charlie Quinn. Charlie <laughs> Quinn sounds like a footballer from the nineties. Like, played for Middlesbrough. Yeah, and yeah, played for Middlesbrough, Scunthorpe, and QPR or something. Like, <laughs> all right, but what are your final thoughts and score out of ten for this movie, Greg? <laughs> uh, it it's probably going to be one of my favourite. An Nicolas Cage film that I will revisit again and again, just because it's just so outlandish and it's just so much fun. Um, I'd probably give it nine bees out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So for me, um, I found it really entertaining. It like it might be one of my favorite films to come out this year in our universe. And it was just like we said, the ending I have mixed feelings about, but the stuff like leading up to it was just so bonkers and insane that I loved it. And, you know, it, it was very meta in a way that worked for me. You know, it's Nick Cage being Nick Cage. Um, so I think think I'm going to give this one 9 out of 10 quesadillas. Nice. I mean, but let's be honest. It's just that cheesy, yeah. Yeah, no, no but I was just... Oh. It, 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 
if if there were case if there were quesadillas from like a Seven Eleven in like downtown Detroit, then they probably would be even more poisonous than the ones that were in this film. So yeah, <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, no, I think uh, overall we all criticised it a lot, but we, I think we all really liked it. I guess I'll start with Greg. Uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast again. Where can we, where can people find stuff you're involved with? You're very welcome, Stephen. Uh, the Sussex Cypher and Horror Society is on Discord and Facebook. And the Sussex Star Wars Society is on Discord as well. And Stephen will we'll link those down at the bottom. We just we just watch probably the best the best and the worst movies. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we watch good films. It's just like ninety percent of the time we just don't like. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, I mean, well, actually, no, that's not entirely true because, like, I'd say twenty percent of the time we watch genuinely good films. Forty percent of the time we watch t- bad films that are kind of funny, like Spaghetti Man or Mind Hunters or any Neil Breen film. And then the other 40% of the time, we just watch something that's atrocious, like AI, artificial intelligence, or Bagman. <laughs> yeah, I remember I enjoyed AI more than some of you guys, but Bagman well, is one that's very notorious amongst the group. <laughs> it's just bad. Man. <laughs> Shut the f*** up, Stephen. <laughs> All right, so Ted, where can people find the stuff that you're involved with? <laughs> so I have got a couple of um, YouTube channels. I've got Ted's Booze Cellar, where I do alcohol reviews, as well as also food and drink reviews, and also the odd occasional comedy skit. I also have a third channel called Mr. Chit Chat, where I just upload any old rubbish really that just comes to mind and then i also have a gaming channel called git bag the great uh where i do mainly gaming videos and the odd occasional vlog those are probably the best places to find me in my in the video descriptions in my videos on those channels i do also put my social medias which you can follow therein so that's probably the best way to follow everything i do really all right nice and thanks again and as for my stuff people can follow me at steven schinder on instagram and twitter steven schinder storytelling on facebook you can find my fantasy horror comedy novel lemons will my grain it's on amazon more info at stevenschinder.com and uh you can also email this podcast at delayed replay podcast at gmail.com send us your quesadilla recipes i guess um i'm really hungry right now (laughs) yeah Yeah. i I can tell i i just um yeah i just made a steak with homemade potato wedges and roasted vegetables earlier of course (laughs) you should do like more cooking videos i feel like people get a kick out of that no, I am planning on doing so. I'm I'm planning on doing some that are like very comedic and tongue in cheek, and also ones where I review stuff that's clearly rubbish, like what Ashens does. But I'm also going to be planning on doing some videos where I make stuff that's you know genuinely good. So it's going to be a mixture. Nice. And people can also find me on me and my dad's podcast, Yes Shift, where we talk about the band Yes. Um, there are a bunch of episodes over there on anchor.fm slash yes shift and you can see all the platforms that's on 
Also, don't get confused if you ever watch a VOD of it, because Stephen's dad literally looks exactly the same as Stephen, <laughs> except just with like a bigger beard. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, I think that'll do it. And next episode will be about K9 Time Quake, uh, that K9 movie that came out a few years ago in our universe, but apparently never came out in that other universe. But yeah, that'll do it. And without further delay, have a good day. And don't die. Don't eat the yellow stuff under the sink. <laughs>